everybody out there in Philly radio land in Jersey and across this great uh, United States. I understand I salute out there to our California listeners who listen to the Don't Back Down show. We just grow in leaps and bounds. I, I want to introduce this Stan Casasio, the uh, host of the Don't Back Down show. And I want to introduce my fabulous co-host, Andy Teitelman, who finally explained to me how Biden's stimulus package works by give, actually giving me an example. And he talked about three stri- contractors were bidding on a, bidding to fix a fence at the White House. One was from Chicago. Uh, the other one was from Tennessee. And the third one was from Minnesota. All three of them went to the White House. They, uh, they met an official there to examine the fence. The Minnesota contractor, he took out his tape. He measured everything, worked out some figures, and said, well, the job will run you $900, $400 for material, $400 for my crew, and $100 profit for me. The Tennessee contractor did the same thing. And, of course, he's working with a little cheaper labor. He says, I can do the job for 700 bucks, $300 for material, $300 for my crew, and $100 profit for me. Now, the Chicago contractor, which also does work with the New York contracting and California contractors, uh, leaned over to the White House official and whispered uh, $2,700. And the official said, hold on a minute. You didn't even measure like the other guys. How did you come up with such a high figure? And the Chicago contractor whispered back, that's $1,000 for me, $1,000 for you, and we hire the Tennessee guy to fix the fence. Uh, the other part of this, the other part of this is that the government official, uh, the other part is that the stimulus plan, how it really works also is that half the profits go to the Democratic Party. So when you see the stimulus program out there, just know that it's funding the Democratic Party through your hard-earned tax dollars. And of course, we have our tech genius here, William Michaels, the man with two first names, who's William uh, Michaels, William Michaels, William Michael, not plural, although sometimes they think he's in two places at one time, uh, knows that the first oldest computer was back at Adam and Eve's time when the Apple was extremely limited in in memory. It just had one bite and then everything crashed. (laughs) And then uh, she once told me a story about a Democratic congressman who had a who believed in defunding the police, had a pistol stuck in his back by a thief and said, give me your money. And the congressman, you can't do that. I'm a United States congressman. And the thief said, in that case, give me all my money back. Our fabulous (laughs) producer, Liz Deal. And then the best one was, I just heard this this morning, our production engineer, TJ, who just Tries to do everything perfect, and he gets it 99% of the time. Uh, no, no, 999 percent of the time. Yeah, the other times he just has trouble with my voice because it isn't low enough. Um, who recently went to the McDonald's not that far from here to purchase a Biden Happy Meal. When he asked the attendant what was, uh, what, it was, what was in it and how much it cost, the McDonald's employee said, we don't know what's in this thing. Everybody forgets, and that the guy in the back pays for it. No, the guy behind you. The guy behind you pays for it. Oh, so you did somebody, better in rehearsal. Somebody turned off the lights, and that's what <laughs> happened. Anyhow, we have a great show today. Jokes aside, which were pretty bad this morning, but anyhow, I thought we'd try it. Uh, we have. Um, I forgot to tell TJ to cue the drum and cymbals. But yes. Uh, we'll oh, yeah. Next well, week. you could do. Yeah, we could do it now. <laughs> and we did jokes over again. No, 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 just play the drum and cymbals. <laughs> you don't have to tell him when to do it. He'll do it when he thinks it's funny. There we go. It has to be organic. Yes. So um, 
we have uh, Kenneth Rapazzo. Now you're thinking Rapunzel. It's Raposo. 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 Now you got me doing it. Yeah. (laughs) Goes with Dom Baisal Bellucci. Um, Kenneth is a a reporter uh, for uh, 20 years, a journalist or more, and he's been on the staff of uh, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, and so many other issues. He's the head of uh, uh, the Coalition for Prosperity in America, uh, and he has written tons of articles and stories every day from everything about climate disclosures to all kinds of stuff. And we're going to have him on the air, and we're going to talk about all these things. I do want to talk to him about the climate uh, issue, especially in light of what's happening in England right now with the prime minister who said, well, hey, I'm getting, I'm not doing this net zero stuff anymore because uh, it calls for a lot of central planning. And we all know that central planning leads to chaos because that's what is why. Well, it leads to communism. It leads to communism, which mm-hmm. is uh, chaos in and of itself. We also have Robert Bose coming on at two o'clock today. He's going to bring us up to date on a couple cases that are very, in- very interesting you know, everybody's saying, oh, the 2020 elections were fine. The 2022 elections were fine. Uh, there was nothing rigged. Well, guess what? We all know, uh, because we, we've we actually seen it and we're not afraid to talk about it, that there are definitely, definitely questions in how things were handled. And uh, the latest lawsuits that are happening in, uh, in uh, Arizona, some of the stuff he's going to bring us up to date, and also what's going on in Georgia. Uh, these could be precedent setting, and there is a possibility that that election in Arizona could be tossed out and a new election held. Now, in keeping to that, with that, we're also going to be discussing the latest in rigging elections. It's called oh. Go Register to uh, get, uh, get your car, your registration for your car, your license. Well, it's your driver's Drive, license. Get your, go get your driver's license, and you're automatically registered to vote. Right. Now, they don't say how you pick the party. They don't say uh, whether or not you have to actually be a citizen. Um, they don't mention age, but I think they will stick to the 18-plus. Uh, so, so we've had motor voter in Pennsylvania for, but for a number of years now. there are a lot of illegal aliens that are over 18. Uh, well, they have been caught uh, allowing illegals to um, putting quotes up. You can't. You can see it if you're watching the live stream. Um, they've been to to slip through the cracks, and they're and in the tens of thousands um, in many states, including Pennsylvania, when they have these motor voter laws. The difference now, Stan, is that the motor voter law is going to be automatic. So when you go ahead and, and you apply for a driver's license or a renewal, you will automatically be registered to vote unless you opt out of registration. It used to be that you had to opt in to voting. And uh, it's a nefarious thing that they're doing. It sounds so good on the surface that uh, who could oppose such a thing? It'll help to enfranchise the 1.7 million, I'm told, people in Pennsylvania who are eligible to vote but have not registered to vote as of yet. So that sounds like a good thing on the surface. But what it really is is a way to backfill in registrations of non-voters so that, in my opinion, this is strictly my opinion, those registrations can be used to back up in what would otherwise be, I'm just going to say it, fraudulent ballots. So, Well, they- we know what they did the last election and what they what they did in 2020 and 2022. I mean, they sent out all these mail-in ballots to everybody. There are actually people that because you got calls, I got calls that actually went to the polls and they said, oh, you mailed in your ballot. And you said, no, no, I always come in person to vote. 
And, of course, that person was always a Republican that that happened to. And uh, they were given the what they call alternative ballots. Uh, well, they were, they were given a provisional, a provisional ballot. ballot, which never got ca- never right. got ca- uh, uh, counted because they and, count the first ballot, ballot received, and and therefore he there was nothing that could be done. So there's fraud going all over the place, especially in cities like Philadelphia and the Pittsburgh area, and uh, Harrisburg and places like that. So this is part of the additional scheme. Now, what is frustrating to me is. Nothing from Montgomery County Republican Party, that used to be a tremendous Republican Party. Uh, nothing from Bucks County Republican Party. Uh, Chris Massimento, who's the head of the Montgomery County Republican Party, Zippo from him on this. Uh, Zippo from Pat Poplar. Zippo Poppert, whatever her name is. And uh, Zippo from people from Ke- uh, uh, Chester County, Delaware County. So you know there is... The Uniparty is well entrenched in Pennsylvania because, uh, look, I have an R after my name, but I must tell you, I am so scared to have that R after my name. Um, it's just that we are restricted to two two parties, two parties. So um, uh, with that, we understand our guest is on is coming on. So I'm going to bring him on, but I do want to tell you a little bit about him. Well, let me just add one thing uh, that, you know, he is, Ken is um, industry an- analysis from the Coalition for a, Prosper- a Prosperous America. He's former staff foreign correspondent for the Wall Street Journal, and he's also a senior contributor to Forbes uh, covering China since 2011. This is going to be great. Welcome to the Don't Back Down show, Ken Raposa. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, Ken, I, I wanted to, to talk to you. I don't know if you saw the interview because you're familiar, very familiar with uh, Argentina and I've, I've read a bunch of your sure. articles all yeah, over Brazil. I, I did see it. The one with Tucker you're going to talk about. Yeah. Right? So yeah. And, and I, you know, I read your articles about Brazil and their, and their, um, uh, you know, gas, uh, their oil company that they have there. Petrobras. Weren't you, I was totally impressed by this guy, um, uh, including his hair. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you just like the look. I did like his look. He's kind of like the disheveled beetle. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> With a Spanish accent, you yep. know. Uh, but, you know, the interesting thing is he has taken a common sense approach to the problems. And uh, as we know, there's 50 shades. I think it was somebody who said there's 50 shades of socialism in, in the South America, none of which ever worked. That's why they're all coming to America. Um, so tell us about about him and your reaction to that interview, if you could. Sure. Well, the funny, the, the most, the thing that struck me on, on him, and I think his last name is Mieli. The thing that struck me on Mieli, and I'm going to say his name wrong. I don't follow Argentina that closely, but I, but I did see the Tucker interview and was that Brazil just got rid of Jair Bolsonaro, right? And that's my real specialty is, is Brazil. So they just got rid of Jair Bolsonaro and then, oops, here comes another, even more radical, right? Jair Bolsonaro in, in the Americas. Um, so it's, it's interesting how these countries, it's like a whack-a-mole, right? So if you're Europe, which wants, you know, the Workers' Party in Brazil, they were, I'm sure there were many philanthropists in Europe who were funding the Workers' Party in Brazil through back channels to make sure that Lula would defeat Bolsonaro, who was a nationalist, who was a populist. And so was Lula in some ways, but he speaks the language, he speaks the buzzwords of, of Europe and, and, and the West. So they, they, they'll, they'll like him and keep um, in their good graces in, in the media. But 
Javier is not that guy, you know, Miledi is not that, it's not that guy in Argentina. So we don't know if he's going to win, but considering that Argentina has been beat down through the Kirchners and through the new guy who's the president of Argentina, I can't think of his name right now, but it's the Peronistas that are, that are back in charge. You know, he, he has a, he has a huge chance to, to win. And what really struck me in that interview though, was what he said about China and how he said, you know, there's going to be no investments from communist, <laughs> communist countries in, in Argentina. This, I have to see how, how this is going to unfold because China has a huge footprint in Argentina. Maybe he means new investments, but it, were, it was interesting because I've never heard anyone, anyone talk like this. And, you know, you know Argentina, for all, for all intents and purposes, is an ally of the United States, right? And isn't the United States supposed to be all, you know, worried about China and we're going after China and they're the biggest threat to, to mankind, according to Capitol Hill, right? That's what they say every day on China. That's, that's the narrative. And they are going to, you know, and, you know, the New York Times, NPR, Washington Post, they're not going to like Javier. They're not going to like what he says. And they're not going to like what he talks even, even even on the China issue because they're going to see him as another Bolsonaro. They're going to. It's only a matter of days before they label him the you know the new tropical Trump. Right, and ah. and and, and, ah. and that's and that's a great line. And Bolsonaro, by the way, has faced a lot of the same things that's happened to Trump. They wanted to put him in jail. In fact, I think he left the country because they were threatening with him putting him in jail because we know the elections to a lot, to some degree were rigged in 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 in, in, in uh, Brazil. Because there's no doubt about it that these machines are definitely rigged 100 percent. And and so he was raising questions and they wanted to put him in jail and he left the country. Then I think they made a deal with him and he came back. uh, But he's still under that constant threat of that, which is so interesting as to what's happening in the United States. So there is a push to destroy anybody who questions anything uh, regarding elections, regarding uh, globalists. Anything like that who doesn't talk the talk that these globalist elitists do. And his name, the president of Argentina, by the way, is Alberto Fernandez. Ah, there he is, Alberto. Yeah, he reminds me of Cliff Clavin from uh, from the old Cheers show. <laughs> he does. Listen, I don't even <laughs> try to. I, 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 I had to bit my tongue. I had to bite my tongue. You have no idea how many times I wanted to call <laughs> Cliff Clavin, and and I I I, I said, okay, I'm, I don't know. I'm going to forget his name. I'm not going to say President Cliff. <laughs> Listen, I don't even try names because I'm so bad at it that I get I get ridiculed every time I talk about Don Belucci. Did I get the Argentinian libertarian guys right? Is that is Javier right? That's his first name, right? I think I think so. Yeah, I think you got that one. You right. got that one right. Okay, yeah. right. <laughs> Too many names circling in my head. I will tell you something about Brazil that it's very interesting. Is you know, United States, and and I will say this through through the, through the media, right? The media wanted to get rid of Bolsonaro. They hated Bolsonaro. Brazil likes to copy the United States and things that they do politically and even culturally. They're a few years behind, and then they they were in, they were in favor of Lula, which is ironic because years ago when Lula was first president of Brazil, the media like the New York Times, who are anti-Lula. And now all of a sudden, they, they love Lula. But Lula, let's not forget, Lula was in jail. You know, for, for all of the people who voted for Lula, all of the Workers' Party fans, right, whether they're, from, whether they're from the Guardian newspaper in London or the BBC or the Associated Press foreign correspondents in Sao Paulo and Rio, all these Workers' Party, Worker Party fans who love Lula, you know, Lula, they believe that Lula was politically persecuted. They believe that Lula was jailed because of, you know, a political witch hunt. Who does that sound like? Mm-hmm. Sounds a lot like Trump. And so then Lula gets out of jail because, you know, the guy he appointed to be a Supreme Court guy get, got him out of jail and allowed him to run. Usually if you're in jail in Brazil, you're not allowed to run for office. So not only was he let out of jail, but he was allowed to run. 
anyone. Uh, and, you know, the same people who would just find no, the same people who would talk about Trump going to jail or Trump, you know, shouldn't be allowed to run are the same people who would support Lula, the same institutions, the New York Times, the Associated Press, the same guys. They're not very enlightened. They don't, they don't see connections. They just, they just need you to everything. And so you've got a guy like Javier in Argentina. He's going to be the new Bolsonaro. He's going to be the new Trump, and they're going to beat up on him. Even uh, whether the, or not the, he wins, I don't know, but that's that's what they're going to do. They're going to humiliate him and you know call him out, call him a loser, whatever it is that they're going to do. Well, I, 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 I will say this. I, I have spent time in, in Brazil, um, and, um, I, of course, this was many years ago. I was there in the— uh, I knew your butt looked a little bigger. That's what yeah, you were doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I went there. My wife and I booked the Caesar Park Hotel on Ipanema Beach for the millennium um, when we went from 1999 to 2000. And I will tell you this, Brazilians definitely know how to party. Uh, it, it was one of the craziest nights I've ever spent in my life in um, Copacabana Beach and, and Ipanema Beach. It was absolutely incredible. We, yes. were, we were treated very well as Americans. Uh, yeah. uh, but I, I will tell you this, once you went, and I know it's worse now, we were told do not um, – when we were going to go up to see the statue of Christ up on the mountain, uh, you had to be very careful because you went through a lot of very poor areas, and they basically would take the rings and anything off your wrist or chop your hand off to get it. So it was it was pretty bad. And I did notice that once you went about three once you went about three blocks in from Ipanema Beach, and you went all the all the uh, stores had <clears throat> grates on it, metal grates on it. People were a lot more cautious, but I understand it that um, Bolsonaro really was was doing a good job, and Lou was part of the catastrophe that was happening to Brazil years ago. That was one of the reasons why he was put in prison because of uh, a lot of corruption that was going There's on. There's some that think uh, Lula got elected back into office similar to the way that uh, Biden got elected into office and questioned the veracity of the, oh, the electoral process. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yes. And that I can't talk on that. I don't know that that closely. But yes, I do have a lot of friends in Brazil who who find it hard to believe that Lula uh, was able to win as, as definitely as, as he did. But you know, Lula is an interesting character. He is. He is. Uh, he, like I said, he he was always was a a nationalist populist of, of Brazil. You know, he is he is to, to the left. Um, I would say that he is more of a union type left guy, right? He's not like the American or European left. But I think they're trying to get him to get his party to lean that way because once he's gone, then you know the Workers Party kind of has no more star power anymore. He is the star power. And they're trying to convince him that, you know, you got to sound, you got to use the buzzwords of the Western left. You know, you got to talk about climate change. Of course, that's what he talks about at the, at the UN. You know, honestly, Brazilians aren't too worried about climate change. It's not, not a topic. I mean, if you, you know, you maybe you're working in the universities or something like this, you're 20 years old, maybe, maybe that's, maybe it's an interest, but that's not, that's not really the, a, a top of mind subject in Brazil. I don't care whether you live in Sao Paulo, whether you live in Manaus, it's just not, yeah, those top, those people are basically the majority of Brazilians are just trying to survive the tremendous right, inflation. Well, they're already third world, and climate change is the tool that they're, they're using, using to turn us into a third world country. And I think country. Brazil is a Chinese ally. 
Brazil is a big Chinese ally, and it would have been better for the United States policy on China to have someone like Bolsonaro. But yeah. they couldn't have Bolsonaro because, again, Bolsonaro was considered a, a Trump, a Trump type mm-hmm. populist, you know, and they could they couldn't support that. They needed someone like a Lula, who ironically wasn't wasn't an American, you know, bestie back in the days when Lula was in, in power. They, they he was fine. He was fine, but he certainly wasn't their, their preference, you know. Um, and they, you know, Lula got along fine with George W. Bush. He got along fine with Obama. He would have got along fine, fine with Trump, as Bolsonaro did. But it was just, you know, Bolsonaro was too too much like a Trump, and the Brazilian media hated him. Uh, and of course, Bolsonaro took a lot of money away from the Brazilian media that was partially funded by the government. So that's a that's a whole other all the story. But you know, they're stuck with Lula now, and whatever happens to him in the next three years, we shall see. But I know a lot of people in Brazil. They, Brazil seems to be chugging along as it always does, uh, whether or not it will be better off with Lula in four years from now or not, we'll, we'll have to see. What, tell me about the Operation Car Wash, which is supposedly the, the um, from what I've read, is uh, kind of the FBI's version of the Petro Brazil uh, uh, bribery screams that Lula was involved in uh, when he was in office. Right. So the car wash scandal was the Operation Whereas the Workers' Party and other parties as well, not just not just Lula's party, but the Progressive Party or the uh, the Democratic Movement Party, PMDB, you know, in Brazil, all the big powers, they were involved in using Petrobras essentially as a money laundering scheme for various uh, in, in various ways. Either they, either they would just, you know overpay for projects and in Texas they bought a Texas refinery and then the money would go into the in the uh, workers party's coffers right for elections and so on or they would just um you know use PT, use Petrobras money to fund to fund the party itself it's a state owned government state owned company so i guess they just figured hey you know what, what you know it's our company we we run it so we're the, we're in charge we're the, we're the government we're the party's in charge so we'll just skim a little bit off the top so it got stuck in a lot of a lot of scandals involved in that. It was a, I guess, I guess the best way to describe it was it was more like a, a lot. There was a lot of things going on at once. It wasn't just you know the Workers Party and others skimming money from from the company itself, but it was a lot of other kind of corruptions and and money laundering schemes that that went on that really took a lot of politicians down, including Lula. But I don't, I, I, I can't say how close Lula was to that. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, but as the leader of the Workers Party, you know, then it is what it is, right? You're going to take the fall, and he did. Um, and he was in jail. He was in jail for, I think, two or three years. Well, you know, the thing is, I, I told a joke earlier this morning, which probably you didn't have the chance to listen to it, and probably a good thing you didn't. But basically, <laughs> it, it, I was explaining, uh, Andy, my co-host, explained to me how the uh, uh, how uh, subsidies work, uh, and that's pretty much, uh, you know, the uh, contractor comes in and gives uh, one price, you know, $900, what it is, another contractor, 700 another one comes in and says, well, it's $2,700. And when the bureaucrat and politician says, well, how did you get so high? He says, well, let me explain it to you. I get $1,000, you get $1,000, then we hire the guy with the cheapest price to do the job. And, and that's, what, that's, that's how the taxpayers pay for this. And everybody else gets rich. And, $600 hammers. Yes, $600 hammers and what else we got. So this is a common thread through the bureaucracy, and that's why – Giving unlimited spending opportunities to any government official is a death knell to a country. 
So Ken Raposa, can you take a minute to tell us what the Coalition for a Prosperous America does? And just so that for the listening audience, I highly recommend that you go to this website. It is a wealth of information. Um, very, very clear, concise, great commentators like uh, like Ken Raposa. The website is prosperousamerica.org. Uh, just go uh, there. Well, yeah. So what, what is Prosperous America? So Prosperous America is a advocacy group like a trade association. We have members who uh, manufacture in the United States, and we represent them on Capitol Hill to make sure that they can continue manufacturing in the United States so that their competitors or they themselves are not forced to go out of business or relocate to Mexico or Vietnam because they can't compete based on uh, you know cheating in China or every, everything else that goes along in, in the in global commerce. So that's, that's what, that's what we do. We're, and I, I work on like the business intelligence side. So I pay attention to what Congress is saying and Capitol Hill's saying in hearings on the Senate and the house. So I could tell our members to look out for this and look out for that. And it's kind of hard to, to tell what they're America saying. Go, keep America firing on all, all eight cylinders. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to tell what they're saying because they speak out of both sides of their mouth. I, you know, just saying, <laughs> Yeah, well, it's interesting because after after listening to so many hearings for for the last two years, I've only been doing this for two years now. Is you really get to really get to know like which Congress, which members of Congress are, are really in tune to what's going on, and who are just using buzzwords. You know what I mean? Like like they're on a one minute radio segment, and they just got to get their point across. So they so they just so they just say all the buzzwords that you hear in the media, and it's just like you know, I, I, you don't you're not convinced they understand the topic at all, and they and they probably don't, but no, clearly, a, lot, a lot of them do not. That's clear. for sure. Clearly, they don't, and many of them, although they swear on the, to uphold the Constitution, have no idea what the con- what the Constitution's about. Uh, what's your take on Senator Kennedy? Probably one of the most interesting senators in in the Senate. I think I love some of his. Uh, uh, you mean the one it, that plagiarized the name John Kennedy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I can't. Well, he I I shared a, a tweet by by well I, I shared a clip. Of him, I don't know what channel he was on. Probably Fox, and he was saying something, uh, and I forwarded it to some friends of mine. But I can't remember what it was. I probably can't repeat it. It was, it was one. It was he was just making fun of Biden. You know what I mean? And it was I forgot exactly what it was, but it was one of these one-liners that he comes up with with that with that Louisiana accent, that Southern boy accent. You know, it's just you, and, and he, he's, kind of, he's definitely the funny. I think he's the funniest one in. Uh, in, in in Congress, so he's got to be the funniest elected official. I can't think of anywhere else. Yeah, he's kind of like the Don Rickles of the Senate. In he's that, the Don Rickles. In, yeah, he's in like fact, the Don you kind of, of the you, you kind of look forward to get zinged by him because it's so funny when he does sing you. Yeah, he's a zinger. He's perfect. <laughs> but he he does have a real good grasp. You can't come up with that unless you have a real good grasp of what the issues are. Well, he reads and he thinks before he speaks. Yeah, he's very good at that. So he's and I, could tell you, I could tell you this, guys, you know, as someone who plays attention to Capitol Hill and that's that's my that's my job now. I'm, I'm not a full time reporter anymore. I'm you know, I'm full in the think tank world. Uh, there's a lot you know, a lot of these guys on Capitol Hill, you know, they they might have their one specialty, right? Like AOC specialty might have been making margaritas. You know, what I mean? but she's not great at what the solar industry is. She's not doesn't understand the oil and gas industry. She doesn't understand taxation. So they all have staffers. Right, that they hire or that are already there from previous elected officials that they keep because the Democrat Democrat National Committee or the Republican National National Committee recommends, and that's really or, how or they in the case of AOC, the staffers hired her. But uh, go ahead. Oh, the staffers hired her. Yeah, that's how they learn things, you know. And so it's really you're really almost dealing with not the senator itself herself, right? You're dealing with the staff. That's the brains. 
You know, there's there's very few people that are elected that know a topic really well, you know, or and maybe they know one topic really well, but they don't know another. And of course, we're not electing someone just to know one particular topic, right? So they might know a lot about financial regulation, but know nothing about farming, you know? Yeah. And if you're in a farm state, that's, or you're a farmer in upstate New York, well, that's important to you. So, you know, it's very interesting. You know, you get to, you get to learn more about when I watch it all day long, you see who knows the topics and who's just relying on their 25 year old, you know, do, do you, do you staff. believe in, um, uh, do you believe in term limits? Yes. Yeah. I, yes. I, I, I often said, felt that, uh, three term limits for senators and, uh, four or five term limits for congressmen are great because ultimately you create this, this elitist class within within the country and they shouldn't be there i mean obviously the intent of the of the founding fathers was was that everybody would have an opportunity to serve uh the, their government in some fashion and be part of the the process as opposed to having uh you know a dictatorship a king or or whatever part you wanted to to use so it's interesting i'm glad you um uh you feel that way um, yeah, CPA doesn't have a position on, on term limits. I mean, we, that's not our, our fight. You know, is what we we want members of we want elected officials to understand the our issues, which is issues related to manufacturing and industrialization of the United States and how that gets done. Um, and we hope that their staffers, right, are educated on the subject enough to educate again these senators and house reps on a topic because again when they when you and i get elected we might again we might we might know a lot about fishing and hunting right because that's what we do or that's the business that we're in but what do we know about a bill regarding uh you know pollutants i don't, I don't know i know nothing about pollutants you know i gotta trust what my staff says and so it's really tricky how how it works and so what we do at cpa is we, we're there to inform the house inform the senate like a lobby firm right and talk to talk to staff and say, hey, look, here's what you guys should be looking at in terms of if you want to talk about, you know, Biden talks, Trump talks about, you know, make America great again. He talks about American manufacturing. Biden talks about build back better. And well, here's what, here's how, here's how that really happens rather than just becoming rhetoric and just a slogan. Well, Klaus Schwab talks about build back better too, but Ken Repose to stand by. We're going to go to a commercial break and come right back to the Don't Back Down show with our special guest, Ken Repose from the Coalition for a Prosperous America in a minute. Diane Cardano Casaccio here with the latest news on the housing market. And if you're thinking of buying or selling a home in 2023, this is for you. With today's changing market and the economic uncertainty, make sure you look at all your options and start talking with a real estate marketer and negotiator like me a little earlier than you think before selling your home. Homes are staying on the market longer. The supply of homes is increasing. Let's get started now and not make a mess when selling your home. We'll sell your home fast with our three-day guarantee and get your home inspected before going on the market to stop lowball offers. Also, we'll get professional photographer to take beautiful, eye-catching exterior photos. And that's the first picture buyers will see, so you got to look good. If you're a homeowner, start protecting one of your largest assets. Make sure you're looking good online. Diane Cardano says call me, 215576 8666 or go to 215-576-8666.com. Glad to welcome back to the show Louisiana Senator Mr. John Kennedy. Senator Kennedy, thank you so much. Uh, your thoughts on them, Speaker McCarthy today and his formalization of this impeachment inquiry? Well, I, I think uh, the Speaker and, and uh, 
Chair Jordan and Chair, Com Chair Comer have done an incredible job. I mean, look, look what we've learned uh, as a result of their efforts. We know that uh, Mr. Hunter Biden was either selling influence or selling the appearance of, uh, of, of influence. Uh, we know Mr. Hunter Biden as a result of that. He's, at best, he's a, he's a sleazebag. At, at, at worst, he's a thief. Number two, we know that President Biden was well aware of what his son was doing. Uh, when President Biden said, I've never discussed business with my son and I have no idea what he's doing, the president was, was lying. Uh, number three, as a result of the House Republicans' effort, we know that President Biden not only was aware of what his son was doing, but he aggressively enabled it. Now, those are the facts. Is it enough for an impeachment proceeding, or do they need to gather more facts? That's up to the House. But if you're asking me where I think this leads, I think it leads to, uh, to an impeachment. I, I realize that President Biden has his side of the story. And as best I can tell, what the, the White House's argument is that President Biden is just a good family man who talks to six of his seven grandchildren every day and he's such a swell father that he calls in regularly to his son's business meetings to talk about the weather. But nobody <laughs> believes that. <laughs> and gives them all their own small business LLCs, Senator Kennedy. And gives, right. puts money into those LLCs, which somehow seem to, I'm going to say, dribble up to then Vice President Biden and who knows what <laughs> nowadays. I mean, you're right. He's a wonderful grandfather, except for that kid down in the Ozarks who we well, won't I, I, I've given all of my children their own LLC. Don't you do oh, that, Oh, I Stan? do that. I, they all have their own oh LLCs. Oh, my gosh. He's great. So I had to bring that back, Ken, because we mentioned <laughs> Senator Kennedy. That just one clip, um, which was uh, how he put that zinger in about, oh, he talks to six out of his seven six grandkids. Six out of seven. <laughs> that was so smooth. Yeah. And that's what he does. He zings you right off the bat. Anyhow, he's one in a million. He is definitely <laughs> one of the million, one in a million, one of the few I like sending money to every once in a while. Um, you did an article, and I wanted to ask you about this if you still see, and I think this is a while ago, and you were talking about the death of the printed media. And you call, I think the head of the article was uh, The Gray Lady's Decline. Uh, and I do not get the New York Times because. Pretty much when I stopped getting it, I was starting to rip it up and using it for bird, bottom of the bird cage and for bottom of the uh, cat uh, litter box. I won't even wrap fish in it. <laughs> so, uh, well, it always smelled fishy to me <laughs> when it came in. <laughs> there you go. So our, 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 direct, our engineer is right on cue. So tell me about your feelings about the media itself. The attack, there is an attack on AM radio. The talk, st the talk stations, which seem more of the common sense conservative approach stations, do very, very well as opposed to the liberal broadcasting stations. Um, and then you have the print media. Where do you think this is all going uh, with media right now? Well, the media, the mainstream political press, right? They've had a monopoly on how on, on the narrative of how the country was going and what the popular kids in Washington, D.C. were thinking and doing. And so if you wanted to know what was going on, you had to rely on them. Th those days are done. 
And, and you know, over the last few years, probably the last 10 years, the media has increasingly become partisan. And now it is hyper-partisan, almost to a point of, of some sort of you know, mental illness in a way where you have reporters who are really just knee jerk reacting to something, you know, and and it goes both ways. But for your listeners, it would be like, okay, Trump said that uh, springtime is his favorite time of the year. And then the reporters, and and it would be from the Huffington Post, the New York Times, to NPR, to to the Daily Buzz, whatever it's called. And they would have been Daily Beast. And they would have to write a story instantly talking about how Trump said springtime is great. And the story would be, you know, how uh, springtime is, has its roots in white supremacy, you know, we're people in their backyards and planting tulips. That's only for rich white people. And, and that, that's summer. not even journalism anymore. Oh, my God. They would say he's canceling summer because he's... Yeah, it's just not journalism anymore. And, and that's, it's just so knee-jerk. You know, it's always like blood pressure, when I say blood pressure, 190 over 70 all the time. It's, like, it's not informative. You know, yeah. it's just... It's just you're just knee-jerk reacting, and that's and that's what's that's what's become of the press. Or they just become attack dogs. You know, they, they just got kind of, well, well, this this guy is the Oppo Research, or they're like official Oppo Research uh, guys for the, the Democrats. You know, they, the Democrats do this more than the Republicans do. The Republicans don't do that as much. But you'll see the New York Times that go after someone, or Barrett's on the Washington Post go after someone. It's always it's so predictable now. It's it's very frustrating. I I don't really know. I, I think I think the mainstream media has peaked for sure. You know, Rachel Maddow is not going to get four, not going to go from two million viewers a night to three million viewers next year to, to five million viewers. She's not. A, it's not a growing market, right? Same with the New York Times or CNN. It's a peak to dying market, and it's a peak to dying market because no one trusts them anymore. And you know, you look at poll after poll on this particular issue, and it's just you know, I mean, the, the greatest trust of all might be among the Democratic the people who identify as Democrats say, yeah, the media is trustworthy, you know, so they're the only ones. Everybody else would, would say, by and large, no. And it's like you're looking at maybe 30 percent who would say, yeah, I, I trust the I trust well, Fox Tucker News. Car- Even a Republican would say wouldn't say that anymore. Tucker Carlson has not peaked. So there's yeah, some hope he hasn't yeah, peaked. Yeah, there's it's amazing. Well, he's no longer mainstream media. Yeah, but but he's, he's no still... longer mainstream, right? He's no longer mainstream. You know, right. he's he's all done with that. So I mean, you know, these these, these guys again. You, you look at you look at the numbers. Like you look at something like a, a Sean Hannity. You know, he might get two million viewers a night, and that's been the case for years. You know, they're not going from like two million to you know, uh, ten million in, in over a ten year period. This is that's the end. That's 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 it. That's it. And you look at something like a Joe Rogan. Let's say you know maybe ten years ago he might have had you know I don't know one million, two million people listening to him. Now he's got ten, twenty million. You know. Yeah, so. yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing what's going on uh, in in that uh, alternate universe. Even the Blaze uh, with uh, Glenn Beck, uh, kind of more of a traditional—I don't want to call it traditional TV—but but yet he is in he is growing his his base too. I notice uh, the Blaze uh, is, and some of the other. I've been a Blaze ma- subscriber since the beginning. Uh, he's funny and intense at the same time. He brings humor to the most serious topics, but he does deep dive analysis and. Wow, I may not always agree with everything he has to say. I certainly want to hear it. So even though you deal with manufacturing, uh, we have um, Diane Cardano on the phone, who's probably a, a Philadelphia, New Jersey uh, real estate maven. And uh, she was going to give us some uh, updates on the real estate market. What is your gut reaction, even though you deal mostly with manufacturing, but you, you do have your feet in the economic world of of all the assets, because a lot of those manufacturers own property, own uh, own uh, their buildings. Uh, what's your feeling about real estate uh, in and of itself, where it's going with this inflation and higher interest rates? 
Well, let's talk about commercial real estate. I, I think I can mostly talk about that, you know, from 10,000 feet up as someone who's putting on my Forbes hat now, right? Well, I still, I still write for them. I would say that if you are a commercial real estate guy or REIT, right, and you're working in the big cities, New York, San Francisco for sure, Philly, I would say that you're in, you're in deep trouble. And if you're an investor in those, uh, well, no one really is in, well, if you're a retail investor owning REIT funds, you know, you probably have a diverse portfolio, right? But if you're just some individual company that has, you know, you mentioned LLCs and you got like uh, commercial real estate in Philly or New York, I don't, I don't really see how, I don't really see how that's a growth story. You know, that's not a manufacturing element, right? But I mean, who want, I mean, do you want to move? Do I want? Do, do you want to move to Philadelphia right now and have an office tower and work in Philly, where you you see pictures of what Philly's like and and what New York City's like or San Francisco? I mean, I, I think it's a very hard sell. People are saying they don't want to go back to work; they want to work from home. You see this in Washington D.C., where you got built, built newer buildings that that are vacant because of work from home policy that remains, and they're trying to strong on people back into the office. So I think big cities, especially mid-Atlantic, Northeast, and San Francisco being its own separate crisis, uh, are in trouble. Uh, I don't know about commercial real estate or residential property outside of that, but certainly from an economic uh, standpoint, looking at those major cities and what's been happening to them in terms of social crises, migrant crises, and the work from home, coupled with the work from home policy, I don't, I don't see the, the growth of, of commercial real estate in, in those areas. We, we're going to have to see those cities clean up and be attractive where people want to go as tourists, where people want to go to no, live and work. It's exactly the opposite. That come back. It's exactly yeah. the opposite. They're making them uninhabitable. They're becoming uh, crime zones, and that's by intent. So, I don't think any of this is by mistake. So let me bring in uh, Diane uh, to talk about the residential aspect of, of the uh, – because she handles real estate in both uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania – uh, Diane, uh, Ken yeah, was talking about hi, the Diane. has been talking about the hi. commercial real estate. Yep. How yeah, is I heard him, yeah. yeah? How is the economy affecting the residential? Because I know you got buyers and sellers. Yeah, well, it's really an unusual tick up we saw in August of more homes coming on the market, and never does this time of year. It always goes down. So we're seeing more people put homes on the market, which is going to help buyers be able to be more affordable for buyers. Right now, homes are just not affordable because uh, they keep going up in price and nobody can afford these payments, right? So what's happening now, we're seeing more homes coming on the market than usual and prediction of Feb- in February for rates to come down. Well, who knows? Depends on who's saying it. Well, 2024 is, 2024 is an election year. Election. And, yeah, yeah they so they're going to want to try to hold any rate increases and maybe say, oh, look, we dropped it yep. a half a point or something. Uh, the Bidenomics yeah. is working. So that's the yeah. Yeah, I wonder if it's the same happen. in the red, so, red states. Why do you think people are – are they just leaving? Are they trying to get out of Philadelphia? So, uh, Well, as far as Philadelphia is concerned, the people, only people moving to Philadelphia are people that have to. Um, because, yeah, but it costs, it costs more money to live in Philadelphia. That homeowners insurance is more in Philadelphia. Wage tax is more in Philadelphia. So it's a lot of negatives to living. So there's not really anything positive except for lower property taxes. But then you know you're paying all those other taxes. So what's the difference, right? So for my 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 from for me right now in this market, I see more homes coming back on the market, which is going to give more buyers the opportunity to buy. 
versus there right now if you're a VA buyer or FHA buyer, forget about it. You're, no one's going to look at your offer because I've got cash and 20% down buyers right in my pocket. You know, but as more homes come on the market, less will be um, less more you know less supply and then I mean more supply and then and then of course the demand is there. Demand's there, so we got a good market. Uh, unlike commercial real estate, every one of my clients says I'm working from home now. I want to stay there, um, and I. I, I don't want to leave, and I don't, you know, I don't want to work downtown. I don't want to go into Philadelphia. That's, everyone says the same thing. How, how do uh, people so, get, Diane, yeah. how do people get a hold of you? Just, tell, just call dianenow.com. It goes right to my schedule, and we can schedule time to chat. If you're thinking about getting your home in the market next year, now's a great time for me to get in there and give you a list of things to do. Uh, Diane, thank you for your, your update. Thank uh, you, guys. Uh, Ken, uh, Thanks, Diane. you know, one of the things you talked about Pittsburgh, I mean, you talked about San Francisco, all our major cities, the especially like in Chicago. I'm thinking of Chicago, which had these wonderful towers and uh, great uh, uh, real estate uh, uh, buildings in, in there. And there's vacancies. There's all kind of chaos going on in Chicago. And I, I must tell you, in my lifetime, I've never met so many smart, stupid people in my life who just don't seem to grasp where all this is going. They, they have no concept of history and how progressive liberal ideas on, on par just generally never work. Right. Well, again, it goes back to what I said before when I was talking about the media, right? It's, it's all sort of the same brain weight. It's also the same mindset, right? So you have politicians in, say, Chicago. I think it was the Chicago mayor who recently talked about how food costs are going up at places like, you know, at a Walmart, grocers, and Whole Foods, and he's talking about we need to, what is it, we need, we need to nationalize them. Or the city is going to take over it and, and buy them, right? And I don't know, I don't know what the story is, what, why food prices are, go, are going up there, but the point is that what, the point I'm trying to make is that a lot of these, a lot of these elected officials were not electing the best and brightest. So we talked about term limits earlier. I, I don't even know if that'll work because do we have a, a stock of people that want to run for office? I mean, I don't want to run for office. Do you? I, I, I don't want to put my family. I wouldn't want to put my family through that. But it's all knee jerk, right? So again, it goes back to let's put it in simple, you know, freshman year 101 terms. Well, you know, the, the opposition, the Trump guys, MAGA says that we should have police. You know. And then, no, the police are racist. You can't police. We gotta, we, what are we going to do about it? We're going to defund the police. We're going to go the extra mile. We're not only are we not going to have police, we're going to take police off the streets. You know, it's complete knee-jerk. It's a complete opposite of what your opposition party says and believes or you perceive them to believe. And you're just going to create a rule that does the complete opposite of what they think. And they and. These things ruin are ruining. Clearly, they're ruining cities. Clearly, they're ruining many so, cities so, in, so in Ken, this country. Right? Ken, you're completely correct about that. But the problem that I'm seeing is when I talk to, and I'm not even going to use the word liberal because I don't think that applies here. My friends who think they're liberal but are actually being sucked into the leftist world, they refuse to see what's happening. They refuse to see why it happened, who's causing it, and admit what the solution is and that's the part that that baffles me everyone's agreeing with the problem even my leftist friends who will no longer the foodies they won't even go in the center city philadelphia at this point for a dinner they they they'll go in the suburbs because 
Philadelphia's reputation is in the gutter because they put it there on purpose. It was led there by its leadership, and I put that in quotes, whether it's Mayor Kenny or or D.A. Soros Krasner uh, or Soros D.A. Krasner. It, it, this is an intentional destruction of our country, and it's happening right in front of our eyes, and I, I, and I think everyone sees the results of that. But the cognitive dissonance about why it's happening and what the solution is, which is also right in front of our face, is what baffles me. Well, I'm not a social scientist on this. I'm not, I feel like that woman from uh, Congress in one here. You know, what is a woman? I'm not a. I'm not a biologist. So <laughs> I'm not a social scientist. But all I can all I can envision about this friend you just described is he or she drives home from work, wherever that may be. They're listening to national public radio all the way home. Okay, and they're here, or they're they're on their phone at the stoplight, and they're scrolling through New York Times, and they're reading this. You know, you know, Republicans say that the crime wave is because of Democrats. So, you know, Republican Trump says that the city is going to, to the dogs because of the liberals, and they they and so they're going to sit back and go, I can't possibly believe that these policies are bad, that homelessness is on the rise, that we've got zombies walking around the inner city of Philly. I can't possibly believe that that's bad or because of my, my city council, my left-leaning city council. I can't believe that. Because if I believe that, I, I, I'm MAGA. I'm MAGA. I can't be MAGA. I, I can't believe <laughs> there, that. There's the cognitive dissonance. I have to dissonance. think it's good. It's cognitive <laughs> so, dissonance. So that, that's my thinking. The guy you just described is honestly home. He's scrolling through CNN, New York Times on his phone, and it's traffic light, and he listens to NPR, and he's just you know, brainwashed. But riding in his Range Rover, which he's going to lose because of all these stupid policies. Yeah, well, well, the, and, he's and, driving in his Range Rover, and he's and he's checking the CNN head, headlines about you know. The I wonder if his mind, I wonder if his mind gets changed if he gets carjacked. It does play on the heads up display, which is very unfortunate. But but Ken Raposa of Coalition for Prosperous America, it would be a sin if you left the show without talking a little bit more about China and the uh, the effect that. Um, it's having on the prosperity of our country. And the uh, health of our country because of the fentanyl. Right. Well, not just that, but I wanted to hit the AI. I, I stumbled upon one of your uh, pieces from January of 2022. It's almost uh, two years old now, and it's called China's AI, Should We Worry? And after reading it, I think that the short answer is yes. Um, and, and, and AI is fueling everything bad that's happening to the world and our country in particular uh, from the surveillance state on to you name it, they know more about us than we do, and I'm not sure what we can do to stop it. But why don't you talk about that a bit? Okay, so I was just in a hearing the other day about about artificial intelligence and tech in general, and our Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. She said she was just came back from China, and her her read was that you know China is still behind us in in, in AI, okay, artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is a big umbrella term to describe a whole bunch of different types of software programs that are created to enable humans to think faster. Okay. So there might be an artificial intelligence platform like open AI, like chat GPT that will help us, you know, write an article faster, right. Or do research for a school paper faster. Okay. Whatever. And then there are others that are more expensive and more in demand that might say, how do I create a program that can, uh, you know, redo a software program that I have, but make it faster or whatever? Instead of having an engineer do that, the AI AI can do that. So that's the race, I guess, between China and, and the United States. 
I think that there is no real clear winner because other than the AI that we, we use in our daily lives, like maybe like a chat GPT, there's nothing really uh, commercialized or, or huge that any of the, any of these our two countries are, are using at this time. It's all, it's still in the development phase, but as far as China goes and, and technology, Chinese government says, this is the area where we want to be. And so they're going to throw a lot of money at it. And they, they know that they want to, you know, be as good or better than the United States in this, and they want to set st- standards on this so they can have other countries like Southeast Asia or maybe even Japan, American ally, say, yeah, we're going to develop this program following the Chinese standards. So the battle is there, you know, r- right now between, between the two countries in terms of who's going to be the leader in that. In that. But I think we're way in the early innings still. Do you know, do you know if uh, uh, Senator Fetterman from Pennsylvania uses AI? Well, he's certainly artificial, but there's no is that intelligence. AI robot that I keep seeing walking around. I don't, I'm not sure which yeah, the, one is him. The guy that now can wear shorts and a hoodie into um, into the into a, a Senate chambers. It's amazing. Instead of raising his standards, they lower the standards yeah, for you, the other 99. Yeah, but you got to remember that's liberalism. Liberalism always reaches out to the lowest possible com, uh, common denominator. Uh, because you don't get better by reaching up. You know, to them, you get better by reaching down. And that's the uh, hypocrisy of, of the left. By the way, it was once said that um, embedded in every progressive liberal Democrat is a tyrant ready to get out, w- wanting to get out. And uh, that's what we have at this particular point. I will close with this, if you don't mind, on, on China. And I, here's what I think is the biggest risk on China. You know, there's, there's many, of course. We don't want them to eat our lunch on manufacturing, right? But that's right. hard to compete with China if you have a wicked strong currency by comparison and when you have uh, a labor force that just is, you know, you just can't compare in terms of pricing. The biggest problem I see with China is that the Western world, and I include Europe and United States in this in particular, they love the China model. They love that CCP, China Communist Party, top-down, my way or the highway model. And they are incorporating that into their own little, into the, in, they're trying to make it, West, they're westernizing it. And the way they do it is they wrap it in the pretty bows of diversity, inclusion, and environmental justice. And they do that so that the urban educated elite, our betters who went to Drexel and who go to UPenn and NYU can say, of course, it's rational. It's rational to do these things. It's perfectly rational. But we're heading closer and closer to not China becoming more like the West, but the West becoming more like China. And the best way to look at that is where were lockdowns the hardest? Where were people who were against lockdowns treated the hardest? And other than China, it was Europe and the United States. It wasn't Jakarta. It wasn't Sao Paulo. It wasn't Mexico City. It was here. So I think that's the biggest concern is sort of what, you know, what some people call the enemy within, right? It's the Western world copying that CCP model. And that is something that we should be aware of, be mindful of, and make sure that our leaders know that we have zero tolerance for that. So, Ken Raposa, I hope you will join us again in the future. This was a wonderful conversation, and there's so much more information we want to cover. You've been listening to the Don't Back Down Show with, with Stan Casaccio, Andy Teitelman, and Liz Deal. And our special guest today was Ken Raposa from the Coalition of Pro- for a Prosperous America. For more information, please go to prosperousamerica.org. Um, and and you will be surprised. I mean, I, I was, I'm new to your website, Ken, and I, I just feel like I got a, a, a fast education from it, and I can't wait to go back for more. Yeah, and I just want to add, I, you know, the Dominion machines, aren't the, isn't this whole system coming from China? 
Dominion, I don't know. I know Brazil used to use Dominion, so that, that's a little bit out of my expertise. I don't know. I'm sure there's some electronics inside right, of those right, machines right. that would come from China, you know? Well, certainly our results go to China before they tell us who they selected for us. <laughs> Maybe. Well, th- thank you again for joining us on the Don't yes, Back Down show. We, we hope you'll come back again. Anytime. Thanks, Thank Ken. you very much, Talk Ken. to you later. Bye-bye. So, Bye-bye. so, uh, so uh, right now for another uh, listener break, uh, for our listeners who own or manage large commercial properties, have you ever had any roofing issues? Do you even know the true condition of your roof? Roofing is something that you don't think about until you have a problem, and by then it's too late to avoid costly repairs or replacements. Did you know that nearly every large flat roof has a leak at some point, whether from a severe storm or age? Even a small leak can have devastating effects on your building and its occupants. With so much at stake, be proactive and call Roofing Dynamics Group, the trusted advisor you need to tell you the true condition of your roof. Utilizing modern technology such as infrared scans, moisture probes, and even drone scans, Roofing Dynamics can pinpoint immediate problems before they become huge problems with precise accuracy. They can evaluate just how long your commercial roof will last and provide recommendations and budgets that will save you money. For a free preliminary survey of your commercial roof, call Roofing Dynamics at 215-491-9000. That's 215-491-9000. And ask for Audrey or visit them online at www.roofingdynamics.com. I got to tell you, it's really, as someone who owns a bunch of commercial properties with large flat roofs, this is an important process in planning your overall long-term capital expenditures. And that's where it's really important to utilize their services. They can really give you a jump on it and, and actually save you hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on how big your flat roof is. Well, Stan, I know that you recently, for one of your larger commercial properties, uh, purchased the Roofing Dynamics COVID Protection Plan, and they recommended the roof mask, which was approved by Dr. Fauci to prevent any in, uh, incipient COVID infestations in your roof that would affect your tenants. Yeah. So uh, it's good that you are a customer of our advertising. Yeah, but we've we've given all of our roofs the uh, the jab, so we don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh-huh. No, no, no. You're not supposed to do that. That causes leaks. They, that those needles only cause holes. That's not. You should never have done that. So uh, we're going to be uh, taking. Uh, we're a little bit early before. You're going to have to pay them the back for that break, commercial. Right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I want to play this clip because coming into the next section, we're going to be talking about uh, elections. Uh, this is Awake with JP. So why don't you play that clip, TJ? People call us dead, departed, expired, gone, passed away, but we prefer deceased Americans. We've been advocating for deceased rights for years, but... Did you know dead people didn't even have the right to vote until 1980? And we're not even a minority. Yeah, when you think about it, most of the people that have ever been alive are dead now. They're just buried underground. So really, we're the silent majority. But we want to make our voices heard. Even if our voices sound a little spooky. That's John. He's a ghost because he's dead. He voted 14 times yesterday. And of course we voted for Biden. He closely represents our values because he's the closest to being dead. Trump doesn't even acknowledge you unless you have a heartbeat. That's deceased phobic. Although with the way Trump talks sometimes, I feel like he wants more dead people. Which honestly, I'm all for. Ironically, I never even voted when I was alive. I didn't want to put my faith in a corrupt two-party system that forces people to choose between the lesser of two evils. But then I died and I went to hell for a few millennia 
and I saw what real evil looks like. What'd you go to hell for? Oh, it was this thing at Applebee's. It, it only happened once. It was a total misunderstanding. Way out of proportion. <laughs> that makes sense. Sure, we aren't connected to our souls anymore because they've returned to the infinite white void of energy that they originated from, but our bodies are still here, which means we can fill out as many ballots as the Postal Service will give us. And we can play Frisbee. Besides being able to vote and play Frisbee as much as we want, being dead actually has a lot of benefits. Like, once I died, my student loans just disappeared. <laughs> I recommend dying to everybody. I just want to see a dead guy in the office. And we've seen so many almost dead men run for president. I can't believe it hasn't happened yet. It's amazing how far we've come. There's dead presidents on our money. And you don't think dead people are running the world? <laughs> I'm excited for future cadavers to follow in our deceased footsteps. Being dead has really helped us appreciate our place in the world. We're really grateful. And we're really dead. We're grateful dead guys. WWDB 860 AM Philadelphia and WPEN HD2 Burlington, Philadelphia. So you're listening to the Dump Back Down Thank Show you. with Stan Casaccio, Andy Tuttleman, and Liz Deal. And, and if you uh, want to call in, 888-329-3306. Um, let's go that to... That could be Robert Bose. That could be Robert Bose. Is that you, Robert? Hello? Says Eddie. Eddie, is this that... Is Eddie, this is Eddie Winterich. Eddie, is that okay? Eddie, uh, you have a question, or you want to pick on us? Oh no, I uh, I was uh, I want to call in. Um, I was talking to Andy the other day, and uh, I told him I'd be in Tennessee this week. I'm running for state senator in District 29, oh. Pennsylvania. Oh well, then Andy, why don't you introduce uh, us here? Well, Eddie, why don't you introduce yourself? What you just did, and uh, talk to us a little bit about what your uh, campaign is about and why you're running for Senate. So I'm running uh, for District 29 for State Senate because uh, Senator David Argel, uh, who's been in office two months, uh, he was elected into office two months after I was born, in November '84. So, um, and he's so he's a first termer. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 for a really long term, long term. Um, <laughs> um, but. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's about time something happens in that area. The, the twenty nine district twenty nine is just there's so much potential up there. It's part of Luzerne, all of Carbon, and all of Schuylkill County. And um, there's just there's um, I see his office in Monterey City, and his office is nice. The rest of the town's falling apart. Like there's buildings everywhere they're condemned. Hazelton has. Tons of buildings that are condemned. I mean, there's, I mean, there's that blight is an issue everywhere, but in his, in this district, it's, it's horrible. And he's promised over and over again for years to fix that, and he's done nothing. His uh, owners, I like to call them. He should wear patches on his on his jacket. 
to tell them, you know, to everyone who owns them. Pfizer, J&J, Monsanto, and then you have Fox Rothschild. Those are the big ones. Now, there's other ones. but Now, Fox Rothschild is the only one you mentioned is not in the drug business or chemical business. Uh, they're a law firm, but I guess they defend yeah. the rest of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, when you have those kind of owners, you have an agenda. You know, he was uh, he was uh, I watched a video a couple weeks ago, of him walking out on um, Giuliani during their uh, hearing for the vote uh, voting. And uh, he put his mask on and his glasses and looked each way and got up and walked away. And he just he just that that doesn't say, you know, um, ownership. I don't know what does like he just. He's establishment through and through, and I'm tired of it. I want someone, one of us, you know, actually a person, a real person to run and run run for office and actually take hold. How do people so, get – Ed, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, what's your website? What's your email address? Uh, if you want to uh, give out your phone number, you can do that yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, my phone number is um, uh, 570-294-9181. My uh, – uh, websites vote eddie4pa.com the number four um, and my email is the American Patriots 76 at gmail.com well so Eddie uh, I, I I actually cut my teeth when I first became a lawyer up in the uh, northeastern part of Pennsylvania and I'm mm-hmm. very familiar with all those places that you spoke about uh, Schuylkill County in particular and and that's that's coal country. And I watched it decline, and I used to drive through Mahanoy City and all the, you know, and, and even in the Pottsville, um, and that's not, yep. that's not Pottstown, that's Pottsville. Pottsville. Um, yeah, it's, it's the county seat for Schuylkill County, and I literally watched that section of the, of the state deteriorate, and it's not, it's no coincidence that the deterioration of that part of the state coincided with the attack on coal um, and, mm-hmm. and the fact that the carbon policy in this country um, since I started practicing in 1985, has has driven uh, what was once a very vibrant region into decline to the point where what you're saying is true. Only an office by an elected government official um, is still standing as the rest of the town to, you know, falls apart around him. So we wish you a yeah. great deal of luck in your campaign. You're welcome to come back on this show and give us updates uh, periodically. Well, I will say this. During the Trump administration, it was coming back because of fracking and the uh, increase in making Pennsylvania was going to be so, – was actually self-supporting in energy. It was coming back. Yes, it was. And it was coming yeah. back, and it's been stopped by this progressive leftist globalist idea of controlling the world. So we yeah. do have a listenership in northeastern Pennsylvania, thanks to the uh, modern fact that people can listen to us on the web and don't need to be on terrestrial radio. So please go to Eddie, E-D-D, is it I-E or Y? E-D-D-I-E-4, the number four, P-A dot com, and look up Eddie Weinrich because he he is an excellent replacement for Argyle, who has uh, an R behind his name, but that's about the, as close as he gets to the Republican Party from what we can tell. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie, thank you so much for calling in. And we're we're always open to you calling in. All right. Thank you. You guys have a good day. Talk to you soon. So now on the phone, we have uh, Robert Bose, who's calling in to talk about what I think could be a precedent-setting case in Arizona 
That is not done yet. Uh, Carrie Lake has never laid down on this because she knows uh, the whole thing was rigged. And there's clearly enough evidence, which Robert will get into it, plus what's going on in Georgia. So, Robert, Stan, Stan I'm sorry to interrupt. For, we, we missed you, Robert. But for those who since he hasn't been around, can you just tell a little bit about Robert for our new listeners that don't know who he is? Well, Robert's involved in uh, in in common sense American practices. Uh, he well, was he's also a, a Trump pitcher. advisor. You're 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 well, waiting. not only that, but he, he was he, he's been involved in financial uh, banking um, world for many, many years. His background is in economics and finance and uh, basically a very uh, pragmatic approach to government and to business. Uh, and if people want to get it to get to Robert, uh, I'm sure he can give us his um, information. Uh, if you want to do that first, Robert. Hey, uh, hi, Stan, Andy, Liz. Welcome back. How's it going? Um, thank you. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on in D.C., but it affects everybody it, it down down to the grocery store, down to the gas station, to your, to your paychecks. It's really been bad in, in the last uh, two to two years with Biden in office. You know, we had some great peace and prosperity under Trump where he appointed me to advise the White House and then help with uh, run FHA and advise Dr. Carson. That's right. Um, but, wow, we, we've seen 25 percent loss in uh, in earning power just in two years because of inflation, energy, war on energy, things like that. It's been really bad. But, but wow, have our uh, constitutional rights been assaulted in every other way? First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment, you name it. It's just, it's, it's insane right now. So we're, it's, a, it's a big battle. And um, right now I've been fighting, uh, um, switching out, like, like some of you, <laughs> our, our regular careers have kind of been put on hold, and now we're fighting election fraud. And I'm doing that quite a bit with Carrie Lake, as you mentioned, Stan. Uh, and then in Georgia, quite there's three active cases still going on in Georgia. So let's take Arizona first, because last year at this time there was a huge case, which I think uh, 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 the, the attorney Carlson was handling it. And, you mean Kurt Olson? Uh, Kurt Olson. Yeah. And uh, it, it. And I remember listening to the case. Uh, I know you were heavily involved in it, uh, where the signatures were supposed to be one of the parts was signature clarification. And uh, the evidence showed that uh, people were just basically clicking through the computer and not really comparing signatures at all like they're supposed to. And there, there was some pretty interesting statistics that were given. And uh, what was the judge's ruling on that eventually? I know there was 10 items and they threw everyone out except for one, which was a signature verification and uh, um, what was the ultimate? I forget exactly how the ruling came down. The judges. Well, it's it's it, it's been through um, trial court, court of appeals, and now Supreme Court in Arizona. And they, the Arizona Supreme Court, said yes, you had the trial court has to look at the the fact that Maricopa didn't do any signature matching, or they very little. They they basically just rushed them through. And as you know, so when you go to a mail-in ballot situation, how does one verify who the voter is? Are they real? Are they ghosts? So the only, only way the legislatures, and, and they kind of just wave, some of them wave that, like in Pennsylvania with drop boxes too. I mean, the only way to do it is to look at a signature match and compare it to what the original signature was on the, on the voter registration card. So um, we just had a good ruling in Arizona that, that confirmed that, that, and they said that Maricopa failed to do that. They didn't look at the, the envelope signature 
and compare it to the ballot registration signature. So that's, that's actually a real help to carry now that this signature match issue of at least 200,000 did, did, did not get looked at in Maricopa. So that's going back to the trial court right now. And that was in basically an area that was dominated by Republican voters, if I'm not mistaken. Well, so you have different batches. You know, you have the mail-in, or I call it cheat by mail. Um, yeah. That can be – that's more from Democrats typically. But, but then you have this other issue that we learned of since that trial. That, that tri- original court trial was in December. But – and Andy knows this well. You, if you find new information that's relevant to that case, you bring it to the, the court or the appeals court or the Supreme Court, whatever. And we, and we found that. So we, we subpoenaed the system logs for the, the, the computers. These are voting computers with systems that can track every movement through the, through the system. And we found that these tabulators the, the, where you scan in the ballot, they're supposed to be logic and accuracy tested before the election. And then they're supposed to be locked down, right? So nobody touches them. But what we found in getting these system logs is that they did the original LNA testing in like October, and then we found, because of the timestamps on the system logs, that they, Maricopa opened them back up and, and used them to see if this other diversion would happen. They, and this diversion was to make sure that 19-inch ballots printed and extrapolated onto 20-inch paper would not be read by the machines. We found that they did it purposely to cause the, the, the election day voters to be rejected at 58%. You, you, everybody heard about why these long lines? Well, we found that they did it on purpose. <laughs> this so is not just that, happening in that, Arizona. This, this, un, this improperly sized ballot uh, scam it happens all over the country and in Pennsylvania, too. We hear about it all the time. So basically, uh, this new information coming up, <clears throat> which, if I'm not mistaken, the election was fairly close at the end, uh, even with all the finagling that was going on. Is it possible that the courts can overturn this election or at very least say, hey, this election has to be redone? Well, so the, the, uh, Katie Hobbs is the kind of the resident governor now because, because of the benefits of of this um, diversion and no signature match. She's fighting this tooth and nail, as you can imagine. So sure. the, her, her friendly courts are slowing it down, but we, we think it's, it, it's got to be remanded to the trial court to, to uh, decide. And we had this other county in Arizona that just said that Maricopa failed to follow signature match. So that looks good, but we still have to go to trial. We don't want the, what the judges are going to do, but you know, it's not, you don't necessarily, the law is you don't need to know the exact count of what the malfeasance was. We, all you need to show is that if anybody was votes was were suppressed or if the election was um, maladministered, then you you have to set it aside or do a do-over. That's probably what would happen in Arizona. They're just going to order a do-over. That's that's what ought to happen. Yeah, but if they do a do-over using the same kind of systems that are so subject to abuses without supervision by somebody who can be trusted. 
uh, or just returning the paper ballots and having them hand counted by people. And you have people from all interested parties observing the counting, uh, which you can do without having people standing over other people's shoulders by having it live streamed through a video system so that everyone can watch it at the same time. And that would stop. I just use a casino style camera system. Casinos can do it. Why can't the voting and the counting centers do it? Um, that's probably the only way to assure that even a redo would be done fairly. Uh, I'm afraid that they might just use the same systems that got us here in the first place. Well, I think, you know, Carrie Lake will argue, and this will, this will happen in Georgia as well, where, where injunctive and declaratory relief will be sought. So those things don't happen again. I mean, you know, you don't want the same flaw of, you know, letting in 200,000 in, in Maricopa that were not signature match or, or, a hundred and I'm sorry, 300,000 in Fulton County didn't get signature matched. <laughs> they didn't do any of it. And there was no, there was no, even a check-in in the poll books on them. So they, they cut corners. They didn't, they didn't know what they were doing in Fulton County or that was 2020, or they got smarter and try and purposely created the diversion in Maricopa County. But yeah, I think a judge would say, you can't, you can't go back to that old failed method. You have to do hand counting, uh, with paper ballots at the precinct level. That's the way to fix it. That There's no doubt about that. And, uh, and that doesn't just apply to Arizona, although Arizona might be a good starting point if we get the right kind of results for the first time in the history uh, of, of election malfeasance since 2020 anywhere in the country. And I keep hearing from all of the people who want things to be the way they are now and pretend that everything's okay, that, well, you've never had a victory. You never win in court. Trump never wins in court. Your causes never win in court. Uh, and, and, and there, was, there was a reason never, for that. There was never any evidence other than... They've never been given a full hearing. This is the closest and, and that even, we've gotten. Even the hearing that uh, uh, Kurt Olson had back a year ago was really the first time there was any evidence that I can remember even being proposed. And he was stymied by the judge. I watched some of that in real time, and uh, the judge just blocked as much as the judge could block without making it so obvious to even the lefties that he was blocking stuff to keep that in a circumspect, very narrow focus so that he could find a way not to rule in favor of Carrie Lake. And it's a disgrace what's happening to the uh, American judicial system. And you know, whether it's that judge or other judges who just don't want to hear it, literally, um, we are, we, you know, I'm not sure where, where we can turn, but we need to get people woken up so that the judges know they're being watched as well. Well, the, so for the don't don't back down audience, I mean, you could go this this extends to the dirty voter rolls to begin with. That's a big problem. But but it also this extends to what's going on in Georgia with the indictments. So either way you want to talk, cover on that, I'd be happy to cover those. Well, if you know, we had uh, I had a wake with JP. I don't know if you ever saw any of his uh, comedian uh, political yeah. comments, but he did the ghost. Uh, and you have to watch the video because he they're dressed up like ghosts, like zombies. And uh, they do this whole routine about, uh, gee, I'm so happy I'm dead because I can vote 14 times, things like that. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty funny. And and they go, geez, we already have. We're almost- losing our country because of this. Yeah, We're losing yeah. our country because of this. And, and they talk about how Joe Biden is almost dead, so we're pretty close to having a dead person really running the country. And well, they- he stands for their values. That's what he said. <laughs> right, right. And he said, <laughs> and it's about time we had a dead person run for this country. We got to stop being so anti uh, um, dead people or something like that. So it's it's really an interesting um, video. If people want to go. It's uh, awake with JP on uh, the YouTube station that was pretty good stuff so 
we we talked earlier about the um, about the automatic voting registration yes. when you get your um, driver's license, and to me, you, you know, the Constitution says everybody has the right to vote, but people also have the right not to vote. So, you know, and and the idea is those people that want to vote generally will get involved in trying to find out at least some. It's not hard to register. It's yeah. just not. That's not why people are disenfranchised. Yeah, we know that. But, you know, some people don't want to vote. But we do know that this is all about gearing up. This 2023 election is going to be a practice round for 2024. They are in, finding different ways to inundate the registration rolls because, as Andy and I have talked, they know we're into the getting the voter rolls cleaned by the um, what's that um, the national uh, oh the national change of address yeah, database database which is pretty much updated on a regular basis and should be an automatic update in every in every voter services department uh, but now they need to overload the registrations again so that they can send out umpteen mail in ballots to people. Well, Catherine Engelbrecht calls that the credit line. Well, she also calls it the China cabinet. That too. Did she well, no, no, it? no. That's when they pull out the fake registrations well, so they that, can use them, and then they take they take right. get rid of them. Right. So, that's the China. You, cabinet. you know what? You know what else it is? You know what else that is? It's it's a cover for apathy and anger against Joe Biden. At, at the core of this, the people don't like Joe Biden and the Democrats, so they have to cover it by ginning up fake votes and fake voter registrations. 80 million. Right. So uh, I, I, I'm going to be really watching this Arizona case because this could be the potential of breaking that ice dam and the floodwaters would just come pouring in because this has happened in, in every state. Uh, and, there's, and if you look at the vote totals with, with uh, Josh Shapiro in, in Pennsylvania, when you consider um, Stacey Abrams, Tim uh, uh, the Four, they all won by a large vote uh, amount over their opponents, and they were the Republicans. But where the vote changed in huge amounts was Shapiro actually got more votes than Joe Biden did, I believe, in the election, and 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 Doug Mastriano got more votes uh, as a Republican candidate for governor than any other previous Republican candidate ever got in Pennsylvania. So that difference had to be this particular rigging of the election, in my in my sense, because probably yeah, what I mean, happened, my, my, they, they were only filling in for Shapiro. They weren't worried about the down ticket at all. And, and there well, was a Andy, lot. Andy, what do you th- how many uh, how many dirty voter rolls or people on the rolls are there in Pennsylvania? So what do you estimate? The last time I saw a database for this was a while ago, and if we just go by the NCOA, it's somewhere uh, in the four hundred to five hundred thousand uh, neighborhood for the entire state. And um, I don't have the list in front of me right now, but on a county by county basis. Bucks County, I think, had somewhere in the neighborhood of 20-some thousand. Montgomery County, County, about the same. About the same, maybe a little bit more. Now, in each instance, those votes, those those available bad votes would have changed the outcome in many important races. 
And whether or not it would have changed the outcome. The it would thing- have changed the race in Kathy Barnett's case. Oh, going back to 2020, there's no doubt. Kathy had literally won the walk-in vote, counted in real time on election eve, November 3rd. Of, by a huge amount. By, a hu- by Enough that we, were, we went to bed believing she won, only to wake up to, well, everyone knows what happened. Trump went from an 800,000-plus margin in Pennsylvania to losing by what? What was it, 80,000 or so, 60,000? You know, it, it, by a few tens of thousands, uh, and it took weeks to get to that revised final number, and they kept finding bags and bags of ballots and uh, truckloads coming in from New York. That And nobody cared. Well, people cared, but let's put it this way. The people who could have done something about it did not care. And that and that was Republican Party. They they Including uh, them, that's right. The, the Republican Party in Pennsylvania, as far as I'm concerned, is a dead group of people. Uh, they keep on doing the same thing. They're in their own, they're in their own head that they're the greatest for whatever reason, and yet they fail every time. Well, they gave us Act Seventy Seven. It couldn't have happened without the Republicans. We wouldn't even be here without Act Seventy Seven. And I haven't heard one opposition uh, party leader in any of the counties going after what what Shapiro just did with the uh, automatic uh, voting registration when you register for a car, uh, when you register for your license. Um, nothing from Chris Massimano, who's supposedly the god of Montgomery County now. He's supposed to be doing all this stuff. Uh, he's very good at sending out emails. He hasn't done any advertising for his candidates. He hasn't defined any issues at all. It's always been about getting money from people. They need to put more money into their thing. Never about the candidates. Uh, same in Bucks County. Same in Chester County, same in Delaware County. It's extremely frustrating to the people that go out there and work every day for these candidates, knowing that they really don't have the backing of their own parties. So, you know, the, the, Joe Biden and the Democrats are just getting pummeled in the polls. Nobody likes, you know, there, there's 10 major problems with the country going on that would be any two or three of them would be enough to knock out, knock out these candidates, except when they keep going to do you know, get fake voters and motor voter and and cook up ballots. That's that's the way they have to respond. So as the polls go down, there's more incentive for the Democrats to cheat. And Republicans need to stand up and, and demand the voter rolls are clean just to cut that part of the fraud out. They well, need we, to demand every every moved person, if they move out of Pennsylvania, guess what? They shouldn't be on the voter rolls. If they're dead or they're felons, if they're illegals, they should not be on the voter rolls. Well, the, we have good laws, believe it or not, in, in, the, uh, in the election code, good sections that make it seem like it's a relatively simple task. Now, it's, it's a, it takes an effort um, you know, to do it. You have to actually give notice, file a petition uh, with the Board of Elections. And there's, there's a couple of different methods. But the one that we're working on right now in Bucks and Monco um, requires that you actually – File a petition with the Board of Elections um, with an affidavit. It has to be a voter from the district where the challenged voter is technically registered. And then they have a process they're supposed to follow. And they're refusing to do that. So, And, and this is in Montgomery County where we're about to file a test case to uh, see what the courts will do with it. Because 
unfortunately. One at a time, or, or is it one person at one fake voter at a time, or is it an apartment building of fake voters at a time? Or Well, yeah, there's two sections. It- the one that allows you to do it in bulk is actually much harder to orchestrate. So we have decided that we're, we're, we tried that one out, and we got pushback on it, and we know, we know how to work it now. We know how to make it work, but... Uh, we think it's going to be easier to do the one at a time, and that and and it's it's pretty much a same or less amount of effort. The only place where it gets a little more difficult is if you have to take it into the court system. And what we were thinking is we would file them in batches, um, and then if they were not handled appropriately, we'd file them. We'd have the the uh, the <laughs> litigation done in batches as well. Uh, worst case scenario is they can throw us out and say we have to do them individually. And Robert. This leads me to something that you and I were talking about before we were on air today, and that is the one difference that matters more than anything else to the efforts for the people who are promoting this terrible system that we are in is they are well-funded, well-represented by council, and forget about the people in government who support these efforts. I'm talking about the, uh, quote, grassroots organizations. The one thing about our side of this is we are underfunded, underrepresented, and we have a bunch of well-meaning, well-intended people who are all off doing their own thing without any centralized leadership or the ability. Like they, they pay their canvassers on the left side of things. Their, their canvassers get paid twenty, twenty-five dollars an hour from things we've heard. Um, our people are willing to volunteer. We can't even scrape up enough money. We do have some donors who are helping us, but it's ad hoc. We can't barely up scrape up enough money for the filing fees for these litigations. Well, when that we you have get when you get millions of dollars from from Facebook and millions of dollars from George Soros organizations and millions of dollars from from the pharmaceutical companies and millions of dollars from the dark money from from your uh, cartel and your people traffickers that backdoor money to the Republican Party, the Democratic Party. Uh, all this money, you know, this money is going into these campaigns to influence what happens. This is the negative side of democracy uh, when you talk about how it can be controlled. And, uh, you know, I believe that if you run for an office in a state, you should only be able to get money f- from within the state, and nothing from outside the state. Uh, that would be a way of controlling some of this thing and possibilities of doing it. Well, if we don't close our borders and yeah, well, that's a whole other issue. They're gonna, be, they're gonna be voting, yeah, you know, with this new law. And by the way, I was just thinking, you know, if they're gonna open it up like that, if you're you're registered to vote just because you uh, apply, they're gonna do that next with being a donor. Yeah, well, they're and gonna I want, I automatically to... a donor unless you somehow contact us, which will make very hard to do, and then say you're not a donor. I, I want to clarify something. We've had the motor voter law for many, many years now in Pennsylvania. And when you you'll you if you look at your, any form where you uh, renew your license, it asks you, it gave do you, you want choice. to be registered to it, vote? And you check you, a box. Right. It gave you a choice. You made right. a choice. Now you don't have the choice. Right. right. So it wasn't like you couldn't register to vote as easily as you register for your driver's license. It's that now they're if they've inverted it. Now, when you do it, you have to check the box not to be registered. And what I'm concerned about, and I would love to see these forms, there's a lot of questions, is, A, are they verifying citizenship? We brought this up earlier, and the answer is that in many cases, and Robert uh, explained this, uh, I think he was talking about Georgia and or Arizona, but it's true in Pennsylvania, too. Um, There was a snafu in Pennsylvania where even under the old version of motor voter, they were allowing illegal aliens somehow to slip through. And I'm sure it was just an honest mistake by people who never do things wrong on purpose. But how is that even possible? 
It shouldn't even be possible. Now they're saying you're registered unless you say you're not. Well, what party are you registered in? Are you just an independent or do you have to select a party? Well, wait a minute. If you have to select a party, that's checking another box. So it's the same as if they didn't force you to be registered and you asked to be registered and selected your party. It doesn't make well, sense you know, unless it's for a bad reason. Well, I, it's Go ahead, Robert. You want, they're doing. Go ahead, Robert. Do you want to? So, yeah, are, are there any towns in Pennsylvania that permit illegals at the town level? And that be, sometimes that might be the, 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 uh, the scam that the, we have to have these people, illegals, on the, on, through Motor Voter because some of the towns have permit illegals to vote. I mean, what we need to do is prevent those towns from doing that to begin with and, and back out of, you know, say motor voter, you need to enforce citizenship and motor voter. Well, that's a great question. And I know that there was a point where either Hazelton or Scranton or somebody was talking about that, but I do not know that there are any Pennsylvania towns currently that allow illegal immigrants to vote. But there are towns in New York that do it, and I have an article in front of me today that says the rig is on. California City plans to grant illegal immigrants the right to vote. It's Santa Ana City in Orange County, California, is about to do that. And, again, this is insane. I guess Mexico will get California back again <laughs> is what's going to happen because you're going to have a Mexican. Well, Shapiro and, well they already and got Paul Arizona and New Mexico. Yeah, listen. All uh, of Pennsylvania, effectively, is a is a, a illegal voting haven because of a call in Shapiro. Right. Um, I want to bring on uh, Tom DeBello, who's running for commissioner in Montgomery County, and I know he has uh, some strong concerns about this and and how they can win. Uh, so, Tom, um, welcome to the Don't Back Down Show. Uh, Tom DeBello is running for commissioner in Montgomery County. Uh, we got Robert Bozon talking about the uh, uh, the cases in Arizona and what's going on in, in Georgia, and we're talking about the automatic voter registration law in Pennsylvania. So, Tom, what's your feeling about it, and uh, what is the party doing anything about it? From I haven't seen anything. I, I haven't seen the party do anything uh, specifically for you. I've heard no ads or anything at all. So tell me what's going on. Um, so I, I don't necessarily agree with, this new push by Shapiro to, you know, automatically register everyone to vote because I think there's many glitches uh, or could be glitches in this, the current system. Um, I think we all know that. I, I think it's a way to open up the floodgates of, ha- you know, people uh, getting driver's licenses because I don't, I don't think you are required I could be wrong, but I don't think you're required in the state of Pennsylvania to show citizenship when getting your driver's license. You're supposed to show your birth certificate, and that should demonstrate your citizenship or something of equivalent proof that you're old enough to drive. So if you are someone who's immigrated to the country, maybe you don't have a birth certificate, but you have your citizenship papers, that would do it for you. If you're a green card person, maybe the information in the green card uh, your green card uh, information would do it for you, but that shows you're not a citizen. I don't know how they aren't able to determine citizenship. It's It, it seems to me that that should be impossible. And if it's not impossible, they need to get rid of this. What specifically, yeah, Tom, I, I, Tom, let me ask no, you, I, what, what specifically has um, uh, the Montgomery County uh, 
Republican Party done, MCRC done, uh, to speak out against this or have any influence with any of its uh, with any of its people in the state house or the state senate? Do you know of any action? Um, I, I I'll be honest with you. Um because it's only been a couple of days old. I haven't seen or heard um, anything from anywhere of anybody actually speaking out, uh, issuing any type of concerns or uh, so maybe there's, maybe there's something to come, but I haven't, I haven't, and maybe I missed it, uh, <clears throat> but I haven't seen anything as of yet. Stan, it might be the same program they're using to advertise for Tom and Liz, uh, Tom DeBell and Liz Ferry running for Montgomery County Commissioner. Which is it's, nothing. It's, no, no, it's based on the silent auction oh, program. So they have now, they're calling it silent advertising. They they feel that that should be very effective to help them get elected. Oh I do, I will say this, there is a fundraiser reception for you guys, uh, Liz Ferry and you, Tom, at the Union League's Liberty Hill um, uh Country Club, which is on Tuesday, October 3rd from 6 to 8. Um, so if you um, want to get there to meet Tom and Liz, you can do that. Hopefully there will be some discussion about this, what they're doing for the registration rolls, because you you need to keep the registration rolls clean. There should be somebody from the Montgomery County Republican Party at every commissioner meeting demanding to make sure the voter rolls are clean, demanding to see how the uh, the absent these mail-in ballots are going out, how many absentee ballots are, are going out. Uh, these are the important things that have to be sent out. And I wanted to ask maybe, Tom and Liz, maybe you can, seeing, th- seeing that this is brand new, do, do you think that you can speak up about this? Because it doesn't look good to me. Like, we could have just got voter ID. Why, what are we doing this for? Voter ID well, would have been excellent. I, voter ID... What's that? I never heard of that because nobody ever brings that up. Voter, yeah. <laughs> I'm only, I'm only being. I'm yeah, only I know. Kidding. I know you're only kidding, uh, it, but it's too simple. That's, that's why part of the, the argument. They're, yeah, they're deflecting. The, the more complicated something is, the more inclined it is to be uh, rigged or cheated upon. So when it's kept simple, stupid, where it's easy to follow, like here's a ballot, market X, put it in the barrel, end of story. Very, very easy to to count those ballots and you have a couple people there and you count those ballots. The I old... want to know who, who, like, can it be you and Liz? Who can uh, bring this up? Who can look into it? Who can, you know, fight back? I mean, we'll, I mean, we'll definitely uh, try, you know, try to take a position on it, but this is again, one of these, this, this has to be brought up at the state level. Um, you know, I, I, I would hope that uh, the, the, Senate, the the Republicans, the elected Republicans would be looking into this and um, taking some type of position um, on this is uh, I just I, I really haven't heard anything. That's I guess. Well, well know, I will. Uh, Tom, I will say this. You're right to extent that it, that it definitely the state house. But don't forget, they voted for Act 77. Um, but on a local basis, the party should be uh, a group of people should be there demanding this at every commissioner's meeting demanding to see the voter rolls calling these people out uh, the, the uh, obviously the commissioner that represents the Republican party he's not doing anything uh, to help anything he never did uh, on that area but there is a there should be a demand that this happen uh, and because these are public meetings 
uh, you know, that that word is going to get out. You, you, nothing, nothing's going to happen if it's pushed off to the state. Uh, you got to take it at the local level, and you got to fight at the local level to demand that you know the drop boxes are limited. You know what are we doing? Are we going to have voter ID? What what is the Montgomery County Voter Services doing in the breadth and scope of the of the election law? The election law says that it has to be fair. That it has to be. Uh, and Andy, you can help on this. There are certain catch-all phrases in the election law that give you the right as a citizen of that community to make sure that those votes are cast or are managed, that there's a chain of custody, that votes are recognized. That's an automatic thing in there. All this other stuff is BS. The law leads, the law reads uh, well in that regard. And when you read the plain English of the law, you think that you do have some enforceable rights only to find out that conveniently the words don't mean exactly what they say in the law when they don't want them to. And the courts will interpret things at times that in ways that are incomprehensible uh, based on the on the language of the statute. And other times they take parts of the statute that may be vague and could be interpreted in a way that benefits the public, only to interpret in a way that makes it more difficult to get um, to get fairness in the in the in the electoral system. It's very frustrating, but we cannot give up. Otherwise, we're giving up on the country. And I refuse to do that personally. What do you think, Robert? Are you well, still there? No, Robert's no, off. Robert, oh, Robert went off. Here, here, here's the thing. Um, and I agree with everything that you're saying, Stan. But we're seven weeks away from the election. Um, we know for for how many times people have stood up in front of the county commissioners. You could say anything that you want to say until you're blue in the face. They're gonna do. They're going to do what they're going to do. They're not. They're not listening to the taxpayers. They don't care about listening to the community. They're taxpayers. They're getting, and maybe in some instances, getting their marching orders from somewhere else. I don't know. But they don't care. And the only way we're going to fix or change any of this is when Liz and I win in November. We have to get, if people care about Montgomery County, if people care about, you know, not only election integrity, but if they care about... Fairness, you know, the crime and the taxes and fairness and, you know, all that goes along with this. I mean, if, if they don't if they don't take a position and, and, and say that here's an opportunity for us to get Montgomery County on the right track. Um, you, we could talk about election integrity until, you know, until we're blue in the well, face. Even the, as you're, long you're, as the Democrats have control, as long as Democrats have control of the court uh, of, of voter services, basically nothing's going to change. They're going to do what they're going to do. But but Tom, one of the uh, things, one of the things, and I I hear what you're saying and and right, the Democrats are going to do whatever they do, but the constant ability to speak at the, at a commissioner's meeting, it is televised. There are people that watch it and listen to it. And, you know, eventually the wheel that squeaks gets the grease. So just not saying anything, not being proactive in it doesn't do anything. So that's just my position. I, I, if, I had been running the party. We would have had a group of people there every time demanding these things to be happening and uh, putting the and just challenging the Democrats uh, every step of the way. And the and the and if that didn't work, we would sick Pauline on them 100 percent of the time. <laughs> and that would definitely get them going. And Stan, you nearly got arrested for trying to run to run the party in Montgomery <laughs> County. They had an armed guard to block you and me from going in. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So much for the Republican. So party. much for fairness. Yeah. Oh. And I, and I hear and I agree with you, Stan. All I'm saying is that we this is our opportunity. Um, 
And oh, absolutely right. Well, look, at least one. we know one of you is going to get elected. All right. Either Liz or you are going to get elected for sure. It would be absolutely great to get both of you elected. The thing that gets me is one of the people, I think his name is Neil, uh, number one's only lived in the community, what, uh, two years at the most? He's run every other office. Not even. Not even a year. He's run every other office. He's for uh, for men changing in women's locker rooms. He's uh, so woke, he's still asleep. Uh, it's it's unbelievable that he would even have an opportunity to win in Montgomery County. I mean, are the Democratic voters in Montgomery County that brain dead, that woke, that they cannot draw themselves up to vote for people who have been successful in business, who have been successful people, who have operated when, they, you know, Liz being on the Board of Commissioners in Upper Dublin, uh, who's operated in, in a in a bipartisan way, has gotten things done. Uh, yourself, your success in running with the school board. I think you were president of the school board in your district, in your area, managing the budget, keeping the, the taxes down for school district. If they can't, and, and you were a successful businessman, if they can't see the difference between you and this other group of progressive liberals who really are nothing more than tyrants running to get out so that they can run everything, um, then we're in in very bad shape. Well, I mean, I I, I I wish this election would come down to background and experience and qualifications, um, because both Liz and I uh, are a thousand times uh, more qualified than our running our our opponents. Uh, like you said, Neil, who's ran for state rep in in Carbon County and lost, then moved down to Washington, worked in Sestax office. Uh, for a while, left that, moved to Philadelphia County, was going to run for a state rep seat there against an incumbent. And then I, from what we understand, the, the Democratic Party told them, no, you're not, you know, we're not going to have an, uh, an election against an incumbent. Uh, and then he moved into Montgomery County about a year ago. Um, he has no, he, he's a lawyer for an advocacy group. Um, he has, he's never been an elected official. He has, hasn't, was best we could tell have a real job in corporate America. He has done nothing when it comes to large, you know, dealing with budgeting, personnel, contracts. Uh, well, maybe he as a lawyer did some contracts, but, you know, he he doesn't have the background or the experience, and he's using this, and, and, he, and we all know this, that he's using it as a stepping stone because he envisions he wants to go to Harrisburg or, or long time or long term eventually – uh, go to D.C. He may be trying to set himself up to be Madeline Dean's replacement. Um, uh, I, you know, who knows? I mean, this isn't well, a long term. And, and I get you. And this is the frustrating thing. And, uh, you know, how we can get to that point. We want to take a moment. We got a uh, commercial t- a break to, to do. Well, I actually want to give a shout out. I got to meet Mike and Monica, owners of the Trump store last Saturday because the 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 Trump train band was playing live. They held a rally. There was a couple hundred people there. It was a lot of fun. It went from 12 to 4. So I got to visit the Trump store and meet the owners. And, of course, Lisa V is always great. So I can't uh, say enough how much the Trump store is a wonderful place to be. I have, Stan, I should have gotten you one, too. I didn't even think about it. My Trump mug shot T-shirt. Oh, my God. Yes, it's got his uh, his uh, um, his rap sheet ID number on it. So please visit the Trump store at 2060 Street Road, Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, or go to TrumpStorePA.com 
and you can get your own Trump gear. Uh, they also have their famous lines of Biden materials, and some of which I can't even say on the air. So, again, thanks to Mike and Monica, owners of the Trump Store, and Lisa V, who does a great job running the place for them. Uh, the Trump Store is at 2060 Street Road in Ben Salem or TrumpStorePA.com. Uh, could you play 16? Cudlow Biden. This is Mr. Trump on corruption, and he seems to disagree with the moderator um, regarding Joe Biden's corruption. Take a listen, and then I'll get your comments. Thank you. Well, of course, there's no evidence that the president has any link to his son's business dealings. Let me ask you, though, well, I don't, about a second. I don't second. necessarily well, agree. No- he, he called in. You mean he called in all these meetings? He was calling in on the meetings. He was put on speakerphone and you mean, every single day and the witness literally testified. many, many calls. And uh, and what about the fact that he got rid of the prosecutor for a billion dollars? I mean, there are a lot of things here. Mr. President. Yeah, there are a lot of things here. Molly Hemingway, what do you make of that little um, dialogue, I'm going to call it? Yeah, this was Kristen Welker's first time hosting Meet the Press as the permanent host. She did this debate with President Trump where I think a lot of people were shocked at how uninformed or misinformed she is about basic facts, such as the Biden family influence peddling operation, how Joe Biden is implicated in a lot of the allegations that are there with the Biden family. She ran a lot of defense for President Biden, not just on that issue, but about DOJ corruption, which is related to this story as well. And she also was falsely characterizing Democrats' abortion position. She lied and said that they did not support abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. In fact, Nearly every elected Democrat has voted in favor of that. So it was a very interesting debut for Kristen Welker and very disappointing for a lot of people who hoped she would be an improvement over the activism of Chuck Todd. Well, you know, I got to say, I said this earlier in the show, I know her. um, She covered me while I was working in the White House. I thought she was a very fair reporter, but I was kind of disappointed in the way she handled this interview. I mean, Greg Jarrett, to say that there's no evidence that Joe Biden was involved in his son's business or that there was any corruption. Um, Ms. Welker said that. I mean, huh? Really? I mean, I'm just reading, uh, coming down here, the Wall Street Journal editorial page, which is no friend of Donald Trump's, nonetheless, has a whole list of the various corruption issues that are being discussed. So, I mean, it was very disappointing, Greg. What do you make of it? Well, she repeated the exact same lie that, you know, every hour of every day, the mainstream media peddles to the public. Um, They don't understand what evidence is. Facts and information constitute evidence. It comes in the form of documentary or testimonial evidence. It's direct or indirect circumstantial evidence, but it is evidence nevertheless. And there are volumes of that kind of evidence that implicate Joe Biden as directly complicit in his son's influence peddling schemes. The evidence comes in emails and text messages and wire transfers and 170 SARS reports flagged by banks to the criminal division at Treasury. Uh, You know, there are White House logs and photographs, uh, documented meetings, Uh, with Hunter Biden's partners. He dined with them. All of this constitutes a wealth of evidence. The question uh, really is, does it rise to the level of criminality, which I think it does, or an impeachable offense, which I also think it probably does? So 
that was an interesting conversation they had from the interview that uh, uh, Trump did on on. Uh, you know what's classic, Stan? Trump gets impeached twice. One time after he was out of office, first time in history that ever happened. And the first time he's impeached is for a publicly documented telephone conversation with officials from the Ukraine. And the second time for holding a rally in Washington, D.C. And everybody who's screaming about going after Biden for actual documented crimes, including some Republicans who are shy about doing the same thing to Biden. What what a disgrace. What a joke our country has become worldwide and here. Um, uh, I think we're coming up close to the end. Liz, do you want to take it and tell us who's coming up uh, in, the fall, in the next few weeks? Yes. Yeah, so I didn't even tell you guys yet, so it'll be a surprise. <laughs> but next week, the 27th, our guest is Perry Johnson. He is a Republican presidential candidate. Now, we all know how much we love Trump, but, you know, this is the Don't Back Down show. We welcome everybody on the show, so I know you'll be happy about that, Stan. Yeah, But he's absolutely. an outsider businessman, and he started a PAC. To, uh, he just announced it to raise money for those accused of crimes related to the 2020 election. And he has committed to an impressive personal match of up to a million dollars. So he wrote a book, Two Cents to Save America, and his plan is very simple. He says, cut two cents off of every dollar of discretionary spending out of the federal budget. And again, he's a he's a presidential candidate. Um, he did run for governor in 2022 in Michigan, but he was disqualified. So tune in to hear all about that. And then the following week, October 4th, we have Colonel John Mills retired uh, back again. He was with us a few weeks ago. And he was the director of cybersecurity policy, strategy, international affairs. Oh, there's so much office of the secretary of defense. Uh, but uh, and, I, I just want to say that uh, Colonel Mills was an excellent guest, one of the most intriguing that we've had. And since he came on the show, I've been following his Substack uh, uh, page. And uh, I, first, I, I just went there to see what he was doing. I actually became a paid subscriber and I can't recommend it more um, than than that. I mean, he is amazing. He he has information that would blow your mind about the geopolitical um, situation in the world. And he's coming out where I think we're going to be the first show or one of the first shows to have him on with a new book called War Against the Deep State. It, it's going to be released on uh, the same week, August 2nd, uh, excuse me, October 2nd, that he will be on our show on October 4th. So I, I go to Amazon, pre-purchase it now. And uh, you can get it on Kindle for nine ninety seven or the hard copy. Uh, I think it's under thirty dollars. And uh, uh, John Mills is brilliant, and and he's he must be connected somewhere because he's got information that, as well informed as I like to think I am, um, he's taken me to a whole new level. So check out his Substack page as well. Um, and uh, you know this has been uh, an incredible show. Now we're coming up close to the end, and I, I want to give our fourth commissioner. Pauline Braccio, an opportunity to weigh in. Hi, Pauline. How you doing? Hi, Pauline. Hi, everybody. Um, thank you for taking my call. When you were talking to Tom DeBello, I wanted to let him and everybody know the next commissioner's meeting is tomorrow at 10 a.m. at the uh, Wall Montgomery Plaza, which is directly across the street from the courthouse. And yes, I do go to every single meeting. And yes, I do speak at every single meeting. And yeah, they're, they're, they try to threaten and intimidate me, and I don't let them, and uh, nobody has to let them. You don't have to be afraid to speak because I'll be there to protect you, okay, <laughs> because they, they do try to intimidate everybody. So what I'm trying to say is 
please come speak out. It is worth your time and effort. If you try to chime in on Zoom, they can just click off your mic and you won't even know it. So please, please show up. We need people to really show up and force. And you're right, Christian Nascimento is a big nothing. Um, he, he does nothing and he will do nothing. While you're there, so, maybe you um, can speak up. Maybe you can speak up a bit uh, with this new rule they're coming out with. You're automatically registered. You can ask them the oh, questions we have. Well, unfortunately, that's not something that. the commissioners yeah. can fix for us because it's a... still uh, ask them questions. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you can no, certainly but, do that. Andy, but the thing is, like you said, people are listening, people are watching. So at least we can make right. it known because a lot of people don't know. They're not paying attention until they hear it or see it. They don't know what's going on. And the only way to get people um, agitated is for them to know about it. Right. So, uh, Pauline, thank you. We're up to the last minute. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Don't Back Down show with Stan Casaccio, Andy Tuttleman, and Liz Deal. Uh, we have some exciting guests coming up in the in the weeks to come. Uh you know, Mr. Johnson will be our first presidential candidate ever to appear on Don't Back Down. So uh, I, I don't say that tongue in cheek at all. Anybody that has the nerve to stand up and do that for our country deserves all the respect that we can give them. And just a quick update on January 6th. They finally go after the FBI uh, informant and give him a parking ticket while Enrico Tarrio gets a 22-year sentence. Uh, the uh, the FBI is caught lying to the House Judiciary Committee about the number of FBI informants and FBI agents who were working the crowd. They lost the count, amazingly, similar to how they keep the accounting for Ukraine dollars. Um, and, uh, and and FBI D.C. Supervisor Deanne Tuono, I think I'm saying that right, uh, lied uh, to Congress about the number of investigators. So... Join us again next Wednesday from 1 to 3 here on WWDB 860 AM for the Don't Back Down show. Uh, and TJ, as always, thank you for an excellent job, and we'll see everybody then. And I will have more jokes. If you jokes. told me two years ago, three years ago, that I would be in the middle of a political movement, I would have said, put down Hunter's crack pipe. Right now. Right now. I can't afford the groceries. I can't afford your gas it's by inflation cross the nation 81 million votes my ass